number of people that are watching online, either live right now or throughout the day from different places in the country and some local. And it's just neat that we have this technology now that we're able to do this. And, uh, and I think um, going into some of our, just where our world's at right now would have been tougher in some ways a few years ago, and it's just nice that we have this technology to, to be able to touch people's lives that, in ways that would have been more difficult before. And uh, I was thinking and praying a, a lot here this last week in and, and that we've got, in Montana, there's been a few cities that have gone back to uh, requiring smaller groups to be able to meet and, and uh, some of that. And so with this church, I know that I've been just amazed continually is that we have walked through all of this peaceably uh, when there's uh, uh, what, whatever happened, we've kept the perspective that well, we don't really have any idea what this is supposed to look like, but we're going to trust God and we're going to just prayerfully walk through uh, whatever this COVID stuff is together. And it's going to be okay because Jesus is still king. And I would encourage everybody to just keep praying and let's just keep that perspective. Uh, whatever happens next, and uh, uh, we don't have a clue what that's going to be, but we do know that Jesus is still king. Amen? That's right. And uh, as all of us, uh, we can, uh, as we're called by God to continue to pray for our country, pray for our leaders, pray for the elections as, that are coming up, is uh, remember that Jesus is still king. In any situation, whatever it may be, uh, Jesus is still king, and that's something we can, um, we can walk through this season with a very different spirit and very different perspective than others, because uh, as Christians, our job doesn't change no matter what happens in life at all. Our job is still to be faithful, uh, whatever whatever comes along our way. So last week, I spent some time in Titus 3, and we're going to go back there. Um, I'm going to turn there, uh, catch up. You guys are already there. You're way ahead of me. Uh, Titus chapter 3, and we spent some time talking about these for, these verses right here. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's great news, isn't it? <laughs> no, not really. But if we're going to be honest, can we identify with that? Time when hatred lived in our lives, malice, envy, and if we're honest, has a tendency to come out at different times. Now it talks about uh, uh, foolishness there, doesn't it? Uh, we at time we were foolish. Now, there's some foolishness that happens um, around us. I saw um, Chris Rangel has a, a, a grizz jacket and slippers. And, I mean, that's some foolishness, isn't it? Right? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. There it is. No. I'm just messing with my man. My man. Oh, there they are. There's the slippers, right? There's the slippers. <laughs> but when we look at this right here, that's not good news, and that's where I left you last week, wasn't it? Is that we have this sinful nature within us that we fight. And as long as we're here in the flesh, and there's really good news coming, there's an aspect that we will continue to fight and struggle with that sinful nature. Even with the Spirit living in us that, that changes everything, and we're going to get to that next week. But there's still that sinful nature that we, we wrestle with, don't we? Especially when we look outside, we look at the news headlines, we look at our neighborhoods, we look at our own selves, and we see this sinful nature that is there. Now, if you remember last week, 
I walked us through several different verses in the book of Titus where Paul says, Titus, teach them to do good. Teach them to do good. That's what my people are supposed to be. And he talks about how this place where Titus is at in Crete, one of their own poets has said, they're always evil, lazy, all of that terrible description. And Paul says, that's what they say about themselves. (laughs) We know that. But teach them to do good. That's what you're to teach them to do. And so knowing that this is their background, this is the background of the people in, in Crete, it's a, it tends to be our, our tendency as well. How do we do that? We understand the what. We understand that we're supposed to do good. But, but why? Why is it important and how do we do that? Because I've found for myself, if uh, I, face, I come face to face with a situation where I find myself lacking, and I'm told, do better, and I have no example, then I really wrestle with what that looks like and how to do that. And so we're going to continue on with what Paul says to Titus here. It's really important to help us understand the answer to these questions. And today we're going to talk about the why. Because there is something that comes up in Titus here in these verses, is that there is a God who is good. I remember uh, from, the, from reading, I think I read it years ago, but from the, uh, I think it was in the movie as well, The Chronicles of Narnia, who's a fan, C.S. Lewis. As the discussion goes that Aslan, who is a figure that, that represents Jesus, the question comes up is, Aslan, I didn't realize he was a lion, is he safe? And the question is, who said anything about safe, but he is Good. And those are not always the same things. But we understand that there is a God who is good. Now, there is some, before we get into this, there's some fake story, or in the, uh, the spirit of our political season, there's some fake news out there, okay? There's some fake news that there is a God who is not good. And I think this comes from a few different angles. First of all, is that we as people can see God as this angry, self-centered God that is up there. And maybe we spent some time reading some of the Greek mythological gods or the Roman gods, and what you have is these, these children that have superpowers that throw tantrums and fight with each other and do terrible things to each other, and mankind is somehow caught there in the middle. And without realizing it, we can have that perspective, can't we? Is that God is up there, that He's angry, that He's self-centered, and boy, I better just keep my head down because I have no idea what He's going to do next. Or maybe, as I've shared before, we often tend to project who God is on who our father figure was. If we had a father figure who was absent, we tend to see God that way. If we have a father figure who is harsh, we tend to see God that way. Hey, maybe that influences our, our perspective and our view of God. Or maybe we see... Uh, God is angry and self-centered because ultimately that's kind of where we are. And if we have this anger, self-centered side of us, then we tend to project that onto others and we project that onto God. We're going to see in Scripture that this is not the God that uh, reveals Himself to Paul and to Titus here at all. It's very different. Here's another fake news that's out there. is that if we do good, we're going to be blessed. And if we do wrong, we're going to be punished. Okay? Now, that one is, is tricky. 
Because there's an aspect of it that is true, isn't it? Because don't we see in Scripture that God speaks in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that if you do good, I'm going to shower my greatest blessings on you, and if you do good, there's great punishment coming, right? Okay, That's true. We see that in Scripture. But it's not like a math problem where it's that simple. Um, two plus two equals four. <laughs> yeah, I knew somebody wouldn't say four. I knew that was the case. <laughs> Thanks, Noah. There you go. Never disappoint, right? Yeah, two plus two in our world equals four, right? And so we tend to approach God, or we can, as this mathematical formula, is that if I do good in this life, then God's going to bless me. If I do bad, then, boy, it's not going to happen, and so I better do good. But here's the catch. If you read the book of Job, you come face to face with this paradigm in a a way that makes us really uncomfortable. Because Job is approached, God is approached by Satan that says, can Look at Job. God says, consider my, my servant Job. Isn't he amazing? Satan says, ha, he is only this way because you've blessed him. Take away what he has and he'll curse you to your face. And God allows it to happen. And the rest of the book of Job is Job's friends coming to him saying, Job, you know, all of this bad stuff has happened to you because you've done some wrong. All you've got to do is repent from this wrong. And Job says, I have done nothing wrong to deserve this. And there's this discussion back and forth of them wrestling through it. And what Job shows us is it's not this simple, is it? It's not like the Hindu version of karma, is that if you do good, good comes around some point in time, it's this impersonal force. It's not like that. It's not that simple. We see in Psalm 73 where the psalm writer says, boy, I really struggled and I just about fell I just about sinned because I was envying people that do wrong because it seems like they're so blessed. It doesn't pan out. This not being so simple is, is, is making me wrestle. Or you see in John chapter 9 when there's a man that is born blind is brought before Jesus. You remember the story? And they say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither, neither. This happened so that the glory and power of God can be seen. We see scriptures like Luke chapter 6 where Jesus says, God is kind and compassionate to the ungrateful and the wicked. And those things make us wrestle because we understand that the God that we serve is more than just, hey, if you do good, good things happen. If you do bad, there's bad things happen to you. There's some personal aspects that are much more deep that are in play here. In Titus chapter 3, Immediately after the verse that we saw here just a minute ago, this is what is shared next. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. We see something very powerful about true news, or true story here, is that there is a God who is out there who is good, There's some terms that are used here, that he is a God of kindness, or one who is warm, who who loves you as well. And this is a God who is a Savior. He's a God who reaches out and is willing to save us. We'll talk more about that, that concept here in a bit. And it happened because we are so good and we deserve it. Is that what you see up there? No, you guys are on to me. That's not what it says, right? It didn't happen God's not a saving God 
because we deserved it. What it says here is that it's not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of God's own mercy. And we see the story of Jesus is that God looks down at the world and sees as, as how we have, have gone into sin and, and all the disaster that uh, we have, have made. And God, from before creation, apparently, as Scripture indicates, has this plan. And He is going to, when the time is right, according to Galatians 4.4, the fullness of time, God is going to become like us. The God who created the world becomes mankind just like us and walks around on the world showing this perfect example and giving himself up as a sacrifice. And that's this story personified or becoming person. Now God could sit up there in heaven so distant from us like he did and shared with the Israelites over and over again, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and share all of those words. But something happened when Jesus himself was born and walked around among us. It changed us because we saw this wonderful example of something that was very, very different than we'd ever seen before. And that's why we're here, isn't it? We're here because, not because we deserved it, not because we had all of our stuff in order, and finally God looked down and said, all right, mankind has come far enough now at this point in time, I think they've got stuff figured out enough, that I'm going to come. They were a mess before. There's no way I was going to risk this before. That's crazy. You know, I have no idea what's going to happen here. That's not what happened at all. And Jesus gave us this amazing example. I think about, we're going to look at some other scriptures, because this one comes from Paul here. And let's think about Paul's story. Because Paul shares something uh, several times, this concept in his letters, that helped me understand that Paul's conversion was something that hit very much at his heart. You know the story of Paul. He was called Saul before. And he shares, uh, we see in, in the book of Acts, some of his story. He shares some personal details a lot in Philippians, uh, a whole lot in Second Corinthians. But Paul is one that he was, from the time he was born, he was groomed to be everything that he was supposed to be for God. He was born as uh, from the, uh, the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He, it, he became a Pharisee, and he says, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. And Paul is going on through life, before he's called Paul, while well, he's still called Saul and and before he was he uh, submitted to Jesus, he was aware of this Jesus guy, and he had dedicated his life to trying to remove any discussion of Jesus from the synagogues. People were being dragged away, being put in prison, that were talking about this Jesus who was supposed to be the Messiah. And apparently in Paul's mind, he's waiting for the Messiah at some point in time, but this isn't it. He can't see it. But Paul is absolutely, completely confident that he is saved, that he, his job is to save the rest of the mankind by eliminating any discussion of Jesus. And you see him going along, and he's on his way to Damascus with letters to throw anybody in prison who is meeting at the synagogue in Damascus claiming that Jesus is this Messiah. His letters are to uh, throw these people in prison. So Paul's on his way, 
And maybe he's never been more confident in his life that I am doing the will of God, I am doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Look at all the, the goodness that is flowing out of me and all these other people are not doing near as much as me and look at how amazingly spiritual I am because I am doing the work of God and I'm going to eliminate all this. And he's on his way and something happens that he never anticipated. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 9. A bright light comes from heaven. And Paul is blinded. And he hits the ground. And he hears a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus, without the human side of him, appears to Paul. We know the story is Paul goes to Damascus. He is, uh, Ananias is called, and doesn't really want to go. He's called by God, says, you need to share the message of Jesus with Saul. Because I've got plans for him. (laughs) I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. And we know the story is that Paul submits himself to baptism. He uh, becomes a, a powerful follower of God. I think part of this great transformation that happened is not just simply that Paul was baptized. There's something much, much more to this, okay, this conversion. Because conversion is not, just, is not just getting wet in water. It's a pledge of a good conscience towards God. But look at some of these other passages that Paul writes about this God who is good. He says in Romans, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the very for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Yeah, I'll die for a good buddy. Yeah, I'd do that. But for someone who's righteous, someone those 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 holy persons, now maybe not. Mm -mm. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this: while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul understood this personally, didn't he? Because Paul's life was going the absolute opposite direction. Now his heart is getting harder, it's getting worse as he continues to persecute more and more and more. And here all of a sudden Jesus comes into his life, hits him upside the head, and rocks his world in a way that he could have never anticipated when he started out that trip to Damascus. And he's speaking in general terms, but he's speaking from experience here. I, Paul, was one who... God made the first efforts with me. He didn't wait for me to get stuff ready. He didn't wait for me to get my heart in order. But while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And it changed my world. And it rocked my world. Look at this other verse from uh, uh, 2 Timothy. And Paul writes this near the end of his life to Timothy. He says, He has saved us, talking about Jesus, and canceled and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. Grace is one of those terms we wrestle with, and we'll talk about it here in a little bit, and especially next week. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Paul is speaking to Timothy here. You can imagine, this is not just 
theology that he is writing. But Paul is talking from a, a place of experience. He understands this. And he understands that there was a time where he was called to a holy life and he was going, he thought he had it, thought he was saved, thought he was doing the will of God. But God came face to face with him and changed this. And Paul could say, it was not because of my own good works that God came and got a hold of my heart. He did so because he's good. Because we serve a God who is good. Look at this next one here. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I believe the Ephesians, like all of us, have a tendency to understand that once we become Christians, boy, we've, we've got to uh, earn it somehow. <laughs> you know, the, the continued, we, we, we backtrack to, if I do good, there's blessings. If I do bad, then there's, there's curses, which is partially true, but it's more than that because we're serving a personal God. And Paul is reminding them here, remember what this is all about here. This isn't about earning the favor of God. You already have it. You're already loved, okay? Your job is to continue to walk in the grace of God. Okay, we'll talk about the how next week. Okay, we'll get to that. Look at this one from Ephesians 3, 8 and 9. And this is in the same context where Paul talks about how he had all everything together. He was, from the outside, the absolute picture of perfection, spiritual perfection or spiritual completeness. And this is what he has to say. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That term is a very, very strong term right there, garbage. And the translators in English do not have the courage to translate that how we would say it in our language. Anyway, I'll leave that. You can look it up if you want. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. <laughs> you can imagine Paul as he is sharing this to these Philippians here, saying, I was at one point in time everything that people wanted to be. I had it figured out. I had it all together. I walked through life day by day, having all of my ducks in a row. And then God rocked my world, and I realized that everything I put stock in, everything that I was proud of, was not what God wanted at all anyway. He didn't care about my last name. He didn't care about all the, the stuff that I, I thought he cared about. But I realized that there's this God there that is really good. Because Paul's conversion, something that happened there in the process, is Paul went from understanding that there was a God there that was looking down saying, come on, Paul, do better. Come on, Paul, do better. Come on, Paul, you got to get this straight. Come on, Paul, be a Pharisee. Nope, nope, nope. A tenth, a tenth of everything. Mint, deal, and come on. I want you to sit down. I want you to divide those spices up. Paul, nope, Paul, that's not how this works. Come on, Paul. And Paul had dedicated his life to being the God that he thought was there. And when he came face to face with Jesus... All of a sudden, he had to look at himself and realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. All this stuff that I thought I was being, I was doing, 
I'm I was trying to follow this God that wasn't as good as the God that I now know. And you can imagine as Paul becomes a follower of Jesus, he ends up in this synagogue in Damascus, and the people run away for a little bit, and they come back and they figure out he's, it's okay. And Paul looks eye to eye with the people that he was going to go and persecute, that he was going to drag off into prison. And he looks eye to eye with them. And what he sees from their eyes is love and concern and compassion. And this rocks Paul's world. And he's starting to think, wait a minute here. These people, they serve a God that is different than the God that I have served to this point in time. These people are kind to me. These people are good to me. These people, they know what I was going to do. And they still love me. You can imagine Paul as he traveled around. He met people face to face that he had put in prison or that he had persecuted. Can you imagine if he, uh, as he goes back to Jerusalem as he would have, was the one who was standing there guarding the cloaks of those who executed Stephen. And he goes back to Jerusalem years later and he walks into a community of believers there. And they welcome him and say, Man, Saul, it's great to see you. And he's thinking, wait a minute, last time you saw me was under really bad circumstances. I was participating in executing somebody that you loved. And these people treat him with kindness and compassion and say, welcome. We're glad you're here and we love you. And Paul sees by the example of these people that there is a God that is good. It's a God that he didn't understand before because of how he had approached God. He missed it. He missed it. It was about, what can I do? What am I supposed to do? Oh. Instead, he's learned about a God who is good that has approached him and said, Paul, I'm going to walk beside you in this life. I'm going to teach you how much you must suffer for my name. It's going to be all right. It's going to be good. And Paul has these visions of amazing things. And you can tell from his letters that he understood that the God that was there was different than the God that he understood. Traditions can do that for us. So here's the story, true story. There's a God out there who is good. The problem is we struggle with doing good. Okay, let's recap some of this. We struggle with that. Okay? But if someone approaches and says, well, you need to do better, how, <laughs> why, how do I do this? Here's the big why, is because we have an example, we have a God who is good. Maybe we can say it this way. True story, the God who is good. Remember we talked about God, but sometimes we can see him as this egotistical super being up there, or, or very simply, if I do good, then Good things happen. If I do bad, the bad things happen. It's more complex than that. Maybe in my own words, I could say it this way. God is good. He extends his mercy to us. And he is there wanting us to accept it. That's the God who is there. And he's good. I've been thinking about a story that happened just over a year ago, um, all this week. Uh, Coulter Roscos and I went hunting this uh, a year ago. And... It was a terrible day of hunting. Great day of fellowship, but a terrible day of hunting. 
And uh, it was warm, and I don't think we saw an animal, not even a deer, all day. It was a big, fat zilcho, nothing. But we were going up this gated road, or not a gated road, it's a gravel road. No, I'm not doing illegal stuff, okay? <laughs> that, that's not what I meant to say, okay? Anyway, so we're going up this gated road, and I believe, if I remember right, it was 25, 26 miles to the end of this road. And, you know, when you get to mile 20, you just want to see what the end of the road looks like, Right? And so we continued on, and it's slow going. And earlier in the day, there was a car that had come flying by us. It was this passenger car, and I remember thinking, I wonder what that passenger car is doing up here, going that fast on these dirt roads. And we get down near the end of the road, and here's two guys on four-wheelers coming back the other direction. And they stop us, and we start talking, and they said, Oh, there is a mess down there at the end of the road. I said, what are you talking about? There's a lady down there that ran her car off the road, and it is not very good. And so we got her, took her to the top of the mountain. She called the sheriff's department, and they're going to come and get her. We thought, okay, well, we'll drive down there and make sure she's okay. And we get down to the end of this road. And the end of this road, there's no turnaround. There's no wide spot. There's no gate. What happens is this road just goes, and then it stops in a mountain. But it's not flat. It goes down like this. One of those places where you can look down and they're way, way down there. And what happened, as we started talking with this lady who was sitting in a lawn chair, she's had slippers on. She didn't have good clothing to be outside at all. And we started talking with her. And what had happened, true story, she said, I was on my way from Great Falls to Bozeman, and I had Bozeman on the Google Maps, and it took me up here. I'm not sure how it happened, but she would have had to have driven through Bozeman from Great Falls to get to where she was. There's no other way. Impossible. But Google Maps was telling her to go here. And so she ended up at the end of this road. She got frustrated. She got upset. She tried to turn around, got her car off the side, and she about went down to the bottom of the mountain got out of her car, and there was no way that we were going to be able to pull it out. So she was sitting right there in the middle of the road, 26 miles from the nearest pavement. And I remember Coulter telling her, can we take you, we'll, you can jump in the truck, we'll take you back to town. She said, nope. The sheriff's department is going to come, and they're going to, to take my car out. It's going to be okay. I said, are you sure they're going to come up and do this today? Are you sure? Why don't you get in with us? Because there's no way, if the sheriff is coming, sheriff's department is coming to pick you up, there's no way that, that they're going to get here without passing us. Just jump in the truck with us and we'll take you down. No, it's okay. I'm fine. All right, that's fine. And she was kind and, and all that. So we went up to the top of the mountain and, and we called anyway. Coulter called 911 and they said, yes, we're aware of this situation. Yes, yes. Okay, good. We just want to make sure and it was starting to get dark. We went back down and said, are you sure you will not come with us? She said, nope, I'm going to wait here. And we drive about a half hour down the road. And here comes the sheriff's deputy coming up the road. And we stop. And the sheriff's deputy says, is that lady up there at the end of the road? I said, yes. We tried to get her to come with us, and she wouldn't. He said, oh, Unbelievable. And so there he goes, 
Fifteen minutes later, here comes a highway patrolman going up there as well. And there was no record coming that night. She called the next day and she rode up with the record to, to, to be taken care of. But I've thought about, a lot about that story here the last, uh, last year and a half, or last year, just over a year. And one of the things that keeps coming up in my mind is sometimes don't trust Google Maps, okay? <laughs> sometimes we need to demonstrate some common sense there, right? But I believe there's a spiritual analogy there that really fits with what we're talking about today. Is that we can get ourselves in situations. Now, let me change that. We do get ourselves in situations in life where we have to look around and realize that we have absolutely blown it. The road is over here, we're over here, and things are not the way they're supposed to be. And this is how grace works. Is God comes along and says, hey, looks like you're in a bit of a mess there. Can I help you? I've got a plan. Come with me. Grab my hand. Let me walk beside you. Let me take you. Okay, I want you to be okay. I want you to be all right. Just come with me. And that's when we have a choice of how are we going to respond what struck me with this lady, this particular lady, is she didn't realize how lost she was. She was upset at Google Maps for taking her to the wrong place. It was their fault. Um, but she thought somehow, some way, something better was coming. Uh, for us, in our spiritual world, when God is reaching out to us saying, God, you've made a mess here. Come with me. I'll walk beside you. I want to take care of you. I love you. I'm a good God. I want things to go well for you. If we reject that, there's nothing better coming for us. That's it. And we can reject God sometimes because of anger. We're just angry at life and we don't see Him working right in front of us. Uh, with guilt. Uh, maybe we just love sin. Maybe we, uh, we think, boy, the following God, is the cost is going to be too great, or I'm way too busy to consider that. We can have all sorts of different excuses. But that's what God is doing with us day in, day out, in some way, and sometimes very clearly, and sometimes it's in ways that we, we can never see and we won't see on this side of life. But what God is doing in our world consistently, day in, day out, is coming alongside us saying, hey, looks like you've made a mess. Can I walk with you? Can I take you? Can I help you? Because I love you. And so when we look at these pass- this passage here, and we'll talk about how this works next week some, it says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, not because we couldn't follow Google Maps or whatever, he saved us because of his mercy. This is something that Paul learned from his experience with God, from his experience with God's people. He learned that God was not up there with this lightning bolt demanding constantly, constantly, constantly on his case. But what he learned was that there was a God that had his hand out there saying, Paul, you got me wrong, man. I want you to live the abundant life of Jesus like you've never experienced before. And Paul, you can see this over and over and over again in his letters. 
saying, I want to share with you what I have come to experience, this good God that is there. If this isn't good news for our world, there isn't any out there. And my hope and prayer is that each one of us, uh, by coming face to face with some of what Paul says to Timothy today, we are in a better place to appreciate and understand the good God that is there. And we're going to talk about more how next week, that God empowers us through Holy Spirit and, and through the washing of rebirth to launch into living in an abundant life of Jesus like we could have never imagined before. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back, and there's people back there waiting to pray with you. We're going to go into our Lord's Supper, and then we will sing our way out here in just a few minutes.